morning, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. So over the past months, as we've studied the book of Hebrews, the theme that has built and echoed through the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. He's a greater word. He's a greater messenger, a greater Moses, a greater rest. He is the greater priesthood and a greater priest, a greater mediator of a greater covenant. And last week we talked about how he was a greater sacrifice. Culminating here in chapter 10, that through Jesus' greater sacrifice, he is our great Savior, providing us with the necessary, sufficient, and greater atonement. So let's read and pray. Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices and sin offerings You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, thank you that before you created anything, before time began, that you had a plan that you had a plan to forgive our sin to atone our sin 
that Jesus came and lived perfectly, that he died sacrificially, and that he raised again victoriously, that we can know you, that we could come before you, that we could live fear from the punishment of sin and death if we only trust in your work. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. So this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 is at this end of this long theological section that Jesus is greater. And it's going to go into this practical section section of what believers should do. So this passage requires us to ask some questions. What were we made for? What did God create us for? He created us for communion with Him, for enjoyment of God, and we lost that at the fall. So, what is humanity's biggest problem? Our problem is a sin problem. We are separated from God. Death must happen because of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So man has this sin problem. We are out of communion with God. So who can restore that problem? The Bible's answer from Jesus from Genesis to Revelations is only Jesus. And it's stated over and over and over throughout the book of Hebrews that Jesus is greater. Jesus is the only answer to our sin problem. Only Jesus can restore our lost communion with God. And how does he do that? We're going to see that laid out throughout this passage. He does that through his obedient, atoning work. So what is it that we need in order to enjoy communion with God in this world? We need forgiveness. We need renovation. And that is what Jesus provides us through his atoning work. We might say it this way. We need justification and sanctification. We need to be brought back into a relationship of being declared right with God. And to have restored to us the desire to treasure God above everything. And that work God does by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. We need to humbly and thankfully celebrate the grace of God at the cross. So last week we looked at, part of the message was at the permanence and the power of Christ's greater and perfect sacrifice. Today we'll look at the effect of Christ's greater and perfect sacrifice through a greater atonement. So what did Christ's sacrifice accomplish? Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides us with atonement that gives us access to God, freedom from sin, assurance of salvation, and living hope. I think it is important for us to define some terms that are either specifically mentioned or implied in this passage to understand how vitally important this passage is to every believer. First of all, atonement. Atonement can be simply defined as the work Christ did in his life and death to provide our salvation. God has provided a way for humanity to come back into harmonious relationship with him. 
through atonement, we can have access to God. Philippians 2, 7 through 11 says, But emptied himself, speaking of Christ, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Secondly, we see this atonement has two aspects to it. And so the second word we need to look at is expiation. Expiation has to deal with the removing something or taking something away. So in biblical terms or biblically speaking, it has to do with taking away guilt through the payment of a penalty or the offering of atonement. God's anger is turned away. Our sin has been expiated our God's anger has been turned away. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 5.8 and 9 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, in the act of atonement, God's anger, his wrath, is appeased and turned away from us. But not only is his wrath turned away from us, and that's an amazing fact, but we need to look at the word propitiation. Propitiation has to do with the object of expiation. So propitiation brings about a change in God's attitude so that he moves from being at enmity with us to being for us. Through the process of propitiation, we are restored into fellowship and favor with him. So not only is God's wrath appeased and turned away from us in the work of Christ on the cross, He loves us. We can have access to him. We can go before him. And he looks on us with love and favor. So as the the New Testament says often, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens. We're no longer enemies of God. But we are his children. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, "In In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Next, the word justification. Justification has to do with the declaring of a person to be just or righteous. We have a right legal standing before God. We no longer have to come before God and plead guilty, but we can plead righteousness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 24 through 26 says, 
and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans eight twenty nine and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And Jesus Christ we have a right legal standing before God. We have been declared righteous. And the last word I want us to look at is sanctification. The generic meaning of sanctification is to, like, to return to a state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart to, for the use intended by its designer. So biblically speaking, to sanctify means to make holy. The act and process of becoming increasingly more like Christ. Sanctification involves separation, dedication, purity, and service. So if you remember back one of the first questions, what were we made for? What did God create us for? For communion with himself for the enjoyment of God. So we are sanctified, brought back to that right state of having communion with God, having access to the Father. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 says, But as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 John 3, 2-3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. So these terms, atonement, expiation, propitiation, justification, sanctification. What did Christ's sacrifice accomplish? It provides us with a necessary and sufficient atonement. So let's return to Hebrews and look at, for these important truths. In the first four verses, we are reminded of our big problem. Remember, sin separation from God, a need to atone for that sin. We are confronted with the fact that before the cross, 
All we had was an ineffectual sacrifice. In verses 1 through 4, we see that laid out. But think about it this way. How many of you suffer from allergies? You take an allergy pill. Does that allergy pill cure your allergies? No, it alleviates. It covers the symptoms. Sometimes, depending on what's in the air, it doesn't even work at all. And so, depending on what medication you take or how bad your allergies, in another 6 to 24 hours, you're back taking that pill again to try to cover the allergies, the symptoms of the allergies for another period of time. In verse number 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. See, the law has but a shadow. A shadow isn't the real thing. When you see someone's shadow, you don't walk up to the shadow and introduce yourself to the shadow or say hi to the shadow. You look for the real person. The law was just pointing to the reality of the shadow as Jesus Christ. The purpose of the law was to point to Jesus. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It can never by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. These sacrifices, just like that allergy pill, can't provide sufficient atonement. These sacrifices could not cover sin completely or effectually. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having only been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Notice the question posed. If these sacrifices were able to make perfect, wouldn't they have stopped? They would have accomplished what they were meant to do. In verse number 3, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Every time they went to sacrifice, day after day, year after year, they would have been reminded of their sin and their lack of ability to atone for that sin. Yes, they would have offered the sacrifice, but the next moment, a thought, an impure thought, a doubt of God would have come into their mind and they would have been right back needing to atone for that sin. And it would have been a daily, yearly reminder that their sin could not be atoned for by that sacrifice. In verses 5 through 10, we see that at the cross, we have a volitional sacrifice in Christ. We see Christ's obedient, atoning sacrifice. Christ is our substitute. Remember who or what can restore our sin problem? Only Jesus. How does he do that? Through his obedient, atoning work on the cross. So in verse number 5, it says, Consequently, so if you, if, if you don't remember, since, Back in verse number four, since the blood of bulls and goats can't remove sin, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes from Psalms 40. Um, it's not a, a direct word-for-word quote, but we see this 
David saying this in the Psalms. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He's not saying that God made a mistake with the sacrificial system and that he had to fix it by sending Jesus. No. The sacrificial system the whole time was supposed to point people to Jesus, not be an end in of itself. God wanted, even through the sacrificial system, changed hearts and lives. And sacrifices couldn't do that. And we see this mentioned throughout the Old Testament that God doesn't desire sacrifices, but he desires obedience. He de desires change of heart and mind. We see this as he says to the Pharisees that you offer dill and mint and spices, but you're dead. These sacrifices weren't offered with a changed heart, but out of duty to the law. Only faith and Jesus, the Messiah, can make this change. And we're going to see that laid out throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews. By faith, by faith, we, in Jesus Christ, we do all of these things now. From before the foundation of the world, it was planned that Jesus would come to do the will of God the Father and atone for sin. Jesus himself says in John chapter 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what was that will? He goes on in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. What are they believing in? The atoning death on the cross. His obedient life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus fulfilled the law in order to do the will of the Father. In Christ's fulfillment of the law, he perfectly establishes the will of the Father. Look back at verse number 10. And by this will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. If you go back and you think about the definitions, you might think, I know when I read it, I, I thought maybe it should say, you have been justified, right? We've been declared righteous. But no, he says we've been sanctified. He doesn't say we've been justified. We haven't been declared righteous and then have to go back to the sacrificial system and work it all out on our own. A little Jesus dying on the cross plus a little good works or whatever else we want to add into there. No, it says we have been sanctified because Jesus once and for all sacrifice 
is the only thing that can atone for sin and make us holy. Do you see the promise there? This is the essence of the gospel. Only Jesus. Jesus says, look to me. I am the greater and perfect sacrifice. I provide the necessary and sufficient atonement. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in verse 11 through 18, we see that at the cross, we have a sufficient sacrifice in Christ. In verse number 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Notice the difference there. The contrast between the priest and what Christ did. The priest stands daily. It's a position of work. The law, over and over again, this ineffectual sacrifice. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he offered himself. He sat down at the right hand of God. This isn't an act of just kicking back his feet in idleness like he doesn't need to do anything. This is an act of completion. The work is completed. He sits victorious, not in idleness, but in authority and dominion at the right hand of God. And notice how he continues it, quoting from the Psalms again in verse number 13. Waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Waiting for that time when God says, come, take your bride, and he comes to judge. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected those who are being sanctified. He has made holy all of those who are being made holy. If you have trusted Christ's sufficient atoning work on the cross, He has promised us that while we are being made holy, while we are being sanctified, we have a blessed assurance that in Jesus we are already and will be made holy as we wait. And then he quotes from Jeremiah 31 again, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. Because of the volitional obedient, sufficient sacrifice of Jesus, we have a necessary, greater, and sufficient atonement. Only Jesus, only Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not the blood of bulls and goats, not the five pillars of Islam, not my self-denial, not my ethics, not my good works or my self-righteousness, not my penance, not by Jesus plus whatever I think to do that day because I don't truly believe that Jesus is enough. Only Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We asked earlier, 
What did Christ's sacrifice accomplish? It provides us with a necessary and sufficient atonement. We're going to close by transitioning from this great theological aspect of atonement to some practical aspects out of it. So how, as believers, should we live in light of this awesome knowledge of Christ providing us a sufficient atonement? What does Christ's sacrifice provide us? And these things have been mentioned throughout the book of Hebrews, um, but I think we find them in this, this passage, and so I'd like us to look at four things. First of all, Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides us with atonement that gives access to God. Hebrews 4.16 says it perfectly, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So remember, we are not only declared righteous, we, our wrath, God's wrath is removed, but we can go before him as children of God and call him Father. Because of Christ's atoning work on the cross, we can stand before a holy God, not just stand before him, but we can draw near. Secondly, Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides us with atonement that gives freedom from sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Christian, you and I no longer have to live with the cloud of doubt and fear of sin. We don't have to pay for sin. We don't have to work to make a payment to atone for sin. Christ's atoning work on the cross defeated sin and death. While we are being sanctified, while we live here on this earth, we will struggle with sin, but we can have confidence that Christ once and for all sacrifice has and will sanctify us. Thirdly, Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides us with atonement that gives us assurance of salvation. We see this laid out in Romans chapter 8. In verse 16 and 17, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Remember that same spirit here in Hebrews that he's said over and over, um, talking about the new covenant. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then later on in the chapter, verses 38 and 39, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God looks at you with favor through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember back to verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus paid it all and he will hold you fast. Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross provides for us sufficient atonement which gives us an unwavering assurance of salvation. 
And lastly, Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides us with atonement that gives living hope. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We serve a risen Savior, a living Savior. And I think too many times as Christians, people look at us and say, Jesus equals condemnation and rules. Jesus equals another law, another sacrificial system. When Jesus should equal hope and joy and love that causes us to do those things. Jesus is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. He has given you his Holy Spirit to write his law on your heart. So live with hope and joy in him because Jesus paid it all. As I was studying for this sermon, I came across this hymn that I'd never heard before. And I think it kind of encapsulates this um, passage. So I'm just going to read the first verse and the um, chorus and then we'll pray. Complete in thee, no work of mine could take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified, salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides you and me with necessary and sufficient atonement that gives access to God, freedom from sin, assurance of salvation, and a living hope. Let's pray.